hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I've read the words in red How you leave the 99 To find the one missing Feels like that was written With me on your mind And the prodigal son who
Wow, is that great or what? That was Matthew West, Me On Your Mind. That was the official lyric video. And that came in from one of our listeners, uh, Michael Bosco. Uh, Michael's a good guy. He wrote us and said, you know what? Thank you from the bottom of my heart, Dr. McCullough, your faithful service to our country and the world. Our family and extended family did not take the vaccine. It was the best medical decision we made. Thank the Lord Jesus Christ. My daughter's a nurse, and she is heartbroken to see the vaccine injuries in the patients on her cardiac floor, and she spreads the word when she can. Back with the Delta, she used her protocol, and patients on she used her protocol, and God used her to heal her body quickly. She is young and healthy, but she has been up at nights breastfeeding a sick infant who has gotten run down her husband, and he goes on to tell more about their case. But I can tell you. Uh, at times, uh, many people feel down and they feel like they're carrying the cross right now as we're in very unique times. I just got back from a meeting in Washington. It was called Crony Capitalism, and it was led by a group called the American Conservative, and it was held at the the Hillsdale Unit on uh, Massachusetts Avenue in Washington, D.C. Hillsdale is a conservative uh, college in Michigan, but they have a Washington unit dedicated to policy. And our session was led by Senator Ron Johnson, uh, myself, Dr. Pierre Corey, and Dr. Robert Malone. We, we were on stage. <clears throat> we had a VIP list of people who attended, corporate leaders, uh, key citizens, uh, doctors, and it was a wonderful event. We really focused on <clears throat> the vaccines, what we understand about them right now, uh, and then the censorship and reprisal that's coming forward with anybody who questions the vaccine or questions uh, the current narrative. One of the major conclusions that we've drawn is that uh, we're in some form of a government operation. <clears throat> now, it's becoming pretty clear that uh, the U.S. is operating a government operation, uh, operationalizing not only pandemic response, but all of the things that we're seeing in terms of censorship <clears throat> and reprisal. The U.S. appears to have played quite a role in the whole development of this uh, virus. And I can tell you that BARDA, which is a unit of the National Institutes of Health that deals with biological threats, uh, and it's, a, it's a, one of the divisions of the NIH, <clears throat> It stands for the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority. And then DARPA, which is a, a unit of the uh, Department of Defense, it's called the Defense Advanced Research Project, Projects Agency, that those two uh, agencies were uh, strongly working and funding, and <clears throat> still to this day, a series of projects. And the projects involve a potential biologic threat and then a response. So, for instance, aspergillus spores is a potential biologic threat, and then there's a response to it. How would we handle a massive uh, aspergillus spore? Uh, let's say it was dropped from a payload of a plane. Uh, there are programs for smallpox, monkeypox, for uh, Marburg virus, for Ebola, anthrax, uh, and, and these agencies fund various research programs, U.S. universities and international universities are used. The CDC is also involved. The CDC has 
for instance, a monkeypox response team of about 30 or so people on their papers. So the government is running these programs. And, uh, you know, on the surface, it's probably to the only way to handle a threat is potentially to actually work with a threat and figure out how to neutralize it, whether it be with a therapy, uh, a vaccine, or some other type of intervention. Uh, and I can tell you that SARS-CoV-2, after uh, the original SARS-CoV-1 infection and outbreak in 2003-2004, was viewed as a potential threat. And then in 2015, two papers were published. First author is Vineet Menacheri. The senior author is Ralph Barrick from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And they were published in Nature and the um, Proceedings of the New York Academy of Sciences. And in the title of the paper is the term Emergence of SARS-CoV-2 in human populations. So they were clearly working on it, how to take uh, the lethal spike protein that was harvested from bats and then modified in the lab in Wuhan, China, and then loaded on the relatively innocuous ball of the virus, the nucleocapsid. That's what's being described in those papers. And alongside that was actually an answer, a potential vaccine. Now they were using a killed virus vaccine, which was ineffective. But in order to actually develop the threat, they had humanized the respiratory epithelial tract of animals, of mice, to actually show that they could have the virus invade. So it was clear in 2015 the U.S. was working on this. There was very few Chinese authors on these papers. The work was done in China because the uh, gain-of-function research had to be done outside the United States. But all the intellectual capital, all the authors and people who were on it were uh, U.S. Uh, scientists. Ralph Barrick who's at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, published his first paper on coronavirus in 1997. Uh, he's been very silent throughout the pandemic. And this is starting to look like a U.S. operation that's gone bad and now uh, a major activity in terms of cover-up. We have um, multiple developments that have, have come forward <clears throat> very, very recently regarding censorship. So I want to bring you up to date on those. Uh, these are all on my uh, Twitter feed, and you can uh, see them uh, there, but I wanted to, uh, to bring you up to date. And uh, uh, one of the first uh, developments, let me bring this into focus here, um, is that uh, there has been a release of documents, uh, another kind of legal tranche of documents, if you will, uh, that's come forward from the Centers for Disease Control and a lot of credit is given to um, uh, given to one of the the legal uh, entities that's really fighting for our freedom. I had a chance to meet them uh, today uh, in <clears throat> in the Hillsdale unit, and let me go ahead and bring this in, into focus. Uh, the um, uh, the group is America First Legal AFL, and the. Uh, press release that came out today is AFL requests Inspector General investigation into the CDC collusion with big tech to push covert COVID-19 uh, uh, basically propaganda. And so the, the uh, press release is very impressive. Uh, it states that um, on July 15th, 2021, the White House admitted that the Biden administration colluded with its corporate allies to censor what it deemed COVID-19 misinformation and disinformation. On July 16th, the uh, American First Legal Organization filed a, a Freedom of Information Act request with the CDC, requesting information on the government's activities. Uh, the CDC refused to turn over the records. 
On April 8, 2022, AFL sued the CDC to enforce the law, and on July 17th, the CDC finally turned over 268, uh, 286 pages of records, and the records are really quite damning in terms of, uh, uh, of what went on. Um, the Biden administration clearly had a propaganda campaign uh, that they uh, had lists of people uh, that they were targeting on Twitter. Uh, they were having, CDC was having weekly meetings uh, with Twitter and with social media to figure out how to censor uh, people on social media, how to get their accounts suspended or, or have uh, unfollow programs. Almost certainly these uh, occurred. So go to my Twitter feed and you'll be able to see uh, some of these developments that have occurred. It's clear that our government is in the middle of a propaganda campaign all oriented towards forcing mass vaccination, uh, and it's a war of information through social media. Another development on our social media feed comes in through uh, uh, attorney Brian Festa, and this is uh, We the Patriots USA vows to make discrimination based on health status illegal, and there, uh, Brian Festa is working with a legal group. He's an attorney to take a petition of over one million signatures in order to uh, rid America of discrimination based on health status, largely on COVID-19 vaccination status as people lose their jobs, lose opportunity in school, uh, uh, et cetera. Uh, so we have this, uh, you know, these sets of developments going on, the crony capitalism event that happened today, uh, which is uh, right now it's Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022. Uh, so you can go on my link tree, Peter, McCulloughMD.com and then click on Rumble. It should come up on my Rumble Rumble channel and you can watch it. It's only about a two-hour program. Senator Johnson gave a wonderful opening speech uh, and then we got right into questions and answers. Uh, amazingly, it stayed up on YouTube long enough to be converted over to Rumble and it's over there now and uh, in good shape and we'll be able to <coughs> in order to move that uh, forward. So uh, that's an update. The WHO has declared monkeypox a worldwide emergency. More states declare uh, states of emergency over monkeypox. Uh, we have more information that have come in on it. It's largely a sexually transmitted disease among men uh, of gay or bisexual men having sex with men. Uh, far greater than 90% of transmission occurs through uh, uh, close sexual contact uh, between men, and it's managed with uh, T-pox. I do want to refer you to a paper that uh, describes T-pox and the compassionate use um, access uh, to it. It just was just released by Adam Sh <coughs> Adam Sherwatt uh, in New England Journal of Medicine. And the title of the paper is Ticoviramat and the Treatment of Monkeypox, Past, Present, and Future Considerations. And uh, while T-pox clinically appears to be working, uh, he does point out the need for randomized trials. It's going to be difficult to get there because there's such an immediate pressing need and the drug seems to work so well for, um, for patients. But there is an expanded access protocol through the CDC to access ticoviramat. And that's basically how the young men are being treated right now. There are no deaths. Hospitalizations are largely occurring mainly for control of pain. The pain in the anal area is uh, severe and sometimes they need to be admitted for pain control. Otherwise, patients can be treated at home with uh, T-pox. Uh, cases clearly have human-to-human -human spread, but it is spreading much like a sexually transmitted disease. But we're far beyond the typical 1,000 cases a year in the Congo Basin. I think we're over 16, 
thousand cases worldwide and probably uh, far greater than uh, 3,000 cases in the United States. You can go to the CDC and see the case counts as they uh, increase over time. <clears throat> we have uh, some developments with uh, CPAC coming up, the Conservative Political Action Committee uh, meeting is being held in Dallas. It'll start tomorrow, uh, Thursday, August 4th, 2022. I have a stage presentation on Friday, uh, August uh, 5th, 2022, and I will be on the stage with uh, Dr. Brooke Miller, who is an early treatment doctor. He treated uh, Sean Spicer when uh, media personality Sean Spicer uh, got sick with COVID-19 on a vaccine a breakthrough case, uh, as well as with Dr. Robert Malone. And we're going to have a 25-minute discussion that's really going to go over <clears throat> largely the censorship issue and civil liberties because uh, we have spent so much time focusing on the viral pandemic that we need to shift now and focus on the erosion of civil liberties and what's happening uh, to doctors, to nurses, <clears throat> and others uh, out there in the world right now. Because if we don't get a handle on these, uh, this issue of losing our, our civil liberties, um, uh, the, the erosive nature of this is going to continue uh, to work against us. Let me give you an idea. This is not just an issue of doctors, but also of nurses. So a nurse who's also a patient of mine, someone I work with for a long time, she's very trustworthy. She sent me this January 22, uh, 2022 uh, Texas Board of Nursing Bulletin, a quarterly publication of the Texas Board of Nursing. And uh, she shared this with me because uh, uh, on the inside uh, cover, <clears throat> there is a public statement dissemination of non-scientific and misleading COVID-19 information by nurses. The purpose of this statement was to address the misinformation being disseminated by COVID-19 nurses. So notice how it starts out with an accusation without actually presenting uh, what was uh, stated or, or misstated. And then basically, uh, this paragraph, I think, really tells a lot. It says in the statement, SARS-CoV-2 is a potentially deadly virus, providing mis misinformation to the public regarding masking, vaccines, medication, and or, uh, and or COVID-19 threatens public health. Misinformation, which is not grounded in science and not supported by the CDC and FDA, can lead to illness and possibly death and prolong the pandemic. It is the expectation of the U.S. Boards of Nursing, the profession, and the public that nurses uphold the truth and the principles of the Code of Ethics. They're basically saying that the CDC and the FDA have uh, an agency uh, or they have basically hold title over the truth. And as everyone knows, there's always uh, two points of view or more. And uh, science is uh, an evolving process. Uh, no one holds the truth uh, and someone else doesn't hold the truth. Uh, this is basically being set up as <clears throat> a situation of uh, the basis for uh, censorship, reprisal, discrimination, very similar to what was uh, happening uh, in Nazi Germany. And so on my Twitter feed, I do have something that's probably a little bit spicy for what I put up on Twitter, uh, but I put this out on August 1st. And it's a picture of Jacinda Ahern, Jacinda, uh, I'm sorry, Jacinda Ardhern. And she is the prime minister of 
of New Zealand. And her statement is, the government is your single source of truth. Unless you hear from us, it's not the truth. And this was fact-checked and it got a double fact that she said this. She basically is saying that only the government is giving the truth. And I juxtapose that with a picture of Joseph Goebbels, who is the Reich Ministry of Public Enlightenment and Propaganda. He was in charge of this during Nazi Germany that basically indicated that his unit was a single source of truth. And he says, and in the quote underneath the picture, he said, one day our patience will run dry. The parallelisms with the current move towards totalitarianism in the world and driven through propaganda and information war, uh, a, a, a pretext now that the government and government agencies actually hold the truth and other people don't hold the truth and they will wield power against anyone that stands in their way <clears throat> in the context of a pandemic that largely is on the backs of doctors and nurses. We're the ones managing it, not the government. Um, <clears throat> that now we are basically in a full, uh, all-out totalitarian, in a sense, totalitarian takeover of what we're seeing uh, in the United States and worldwide. And it's simultaneous, and it's happening right before our very eyes. So keep uh, examples of this active in your mind. Keep this uh, in your thoughts and uh, really try to contribute, I think, uh, in a way to promote scientific discourse, promote discussion. Uh, remember casual discussions and discussions in your friends, your groups, your classroom, at work, your Bible study. Those, those are not censored or they're not censored yet. So uh, you better really get going in terms of your discussions <clears throat> and in your sense of urgency uh, that we do need to broaden out our discussions. We need to absolutely positively ensure our freedom of speech. I have complete freedom of speech when I do this podcast and I expect it, uh, I demand it, and uh, I wouldn't do it if I didn't have that freedom of speech. So um, I want each and every person listening to this to uh, take it upon themselves to do what they can to be sure that your fundamental right to free speech is uh, kept in good maintenance and kept in good check. And whatever you do, don't shy away from a conversation uh, because that is one of the very first uh, steps towards uh, going down this pathway of um, <clears throat> of totalitarianism. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt uh, about it. Now, um, I just have a few brief updates. I want to just uh, go through this with you, uh, make sure I have things covered. And again, you can always go on my Twitter feed, Peter McCullough, uh, uh, P underscore McCullough, MD, and, uh, and get caught up on things. Um, I did tweet out that uh, the state of Utah has passed a, a form of a new genetic uh, procedures law, SB 144. This was published in 2022. That indicates that, um, <clears throat> that potentially genetic changes in the body uh, are ones 
uh, th that cannot be used uh, as a condition for employment or non-employment, and that it may apply to the genetic vaccines. Uh, it was just passed into law March 24th, 2022, and it represents a significant milestone. And we'll have to see, someone's gonna have to bring an employment case forward uh, where they can't get a job based on their vaccine status and bring up this new Utah law, SB 144. Uh, but it does have to do with trying to eliminate uh, genetic discrimination. And, uh, you know, I found that uh, quite interesting. The next update I have is from Adam Slomsky, and it was published in JAMA, the Clinical Trials Update, and uh, that was uh, just on July 26, 2022. And the title of the paper is EvuShield Reduces COVID-19 Disease Severity Among Unvaccinated Adults. EvuShield is the combination of two monoclonal antibodies, tixagivimab in a 300 milligram dose and um, and uh, silgagivimab uh, also in a 300, 300 milligram dose. And it's given within seven days of symptom onset. Uh, and the trial was conducted uh, largely through um, uh, in July of 2021 during the Delta outbreak. About 90% of patients were at high risk. Severe COVID-19 or death. And so basically this is used as an immediate post-exposure prophylaxis. Severe COVID-19 or death occurred in 4% of those who got the uh, the long-acting dual monoclonal antibody injection uh, <clears throat> and compared to 9% of those who received placebo. <clears throat> Three deaths with the monoclonal antibody group and six deaths with the placebo group. This monoclonal antibody pair is called EvuShield. It's already EUA approved for us to use in patients who are solid organ transplant, patients who are immunocompromised, uh, those individuals uh, can get EvuShield. I've used it in my practice. It appears to be safe and effective, and the data look very supportive. Now, in high-risk individuals used as an immediate post-procedure prophylaxis, uh, this looks uh, quite good. The paper that uh, uh, Slomsky is summarizing was published in Lancet Respiratory Medicine, uh, but I want to give you that update, EvuShield. Uh, we have it in the United States, and I think... <clears throat> It's uh, available in other countries in the world, but you'll have to you'll have to uh, uh, check in your local you know country in your local region. We do have an uh, an update from Meg Ellefson on July 26 as well from New South Wales in Australia, where where uh, uh, there's about a 90% rate of uh, people actually taking vaccines in New South Wales, uh, but they have an astronomical number of people over the month in the hospital, well over 4,000 in the hospital that are fully vaccinated and only 15 or so that uh, are actually unvaccinated. So we have more and more evidence that the vaccines <clears throat> are basically not, um, are, are not reducing the risk of hospitalization and death. Uh, and, and in fact, they actually may be increasing the risks of hospitalization and death. Uh, since the last time I've checked in, Pre President Biden has, just like uh, Anthony Fauci, has developed Paxlovid rebound. So after the first uh, five days of Paxlovid, uh, and that's the combination of nelfenpiravir and ritonavir as monotherapy <clears throat> in fully vaccinated individuals, both elderly 
They both had Paxlovid rebound, and that's what the CDC warns against on the May 24th, 2022 health advisory on Paxlovid. I've made public comment on national TV. I think both men, since they were fully vaccinated, they would have been excluded from the clinical trials of Paxlovid that they should have received community standard of care, either a monoclonal antibody fusion with bevdalimumab uh, uh, and then uh, other drugs in combination, or start out with a combination based with hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. And then uh, nutraceuticals, vitamins, supplements, uh, corticosteroids, colchicine, uh, uh, antibiotics, <clears throat> and aspirin. But neither one did. What was reported is both received monotherapy. They both had prolonged courses of COVID-19. Uh, it markedly extended their their um, <clears throat> it markedly extended their um, uh, their infectivity period, and uh, in fact made things worse. So uh, we couldn't have uh, two more visible examples of failure of monotherapy in COVID-19. I've always said that COVID-19 is an illness that needs multiple drugs in a combination. We don't even treat simple staph infections with a single drug. We certainly wouldn't try to treat a fatal infection like this. Uh, the last update I have uh, is on July 27th, it was posted by the Children's Health Defense, and that is survey results from uh, a ZOGB survey. Now, ZOGB is a well-recognized uh, survey company, ZOGB Strategies, and they're unbiased. And they did a survey of 1,038 adults. They found that 67% of them had received one or more of the COVID-19 vaccines. 33% were unvaccinated. Now, among those vaccinated, 6% received one dose, 28% received two doses, and 21% three doses. 12% uh, received uh, took four or more doses. Of those who took a vaccine, one or more doses, 15% say they've been diagnosed by a medical practitioner with a new condition within a matter of weeks to several months after taking the vaccine. That's an astonishing number, but it does fit with my clinical practice. The key highlights are from the survey is that of 829 adults, a subset ages 18 to 49, uh, that 62% received a vaccine, 38% uh, did not receive a vaccine. Those who received any COVID-19 vaccine in this subset, 22% uh, reported uh, having medically diagnosed with a new condition with a matter of a few weeks after the shot. And these are the five most common new conditions that people acquire after COVID-19 vaccination. Uh, uh, autoimmune disorders, blood clots, stroke or um, uh, venous thromboembolism and um, pulmonary embolism, liver damage, uh, uh, heart attacks, disrupted menstrual cycle, uh, and then neurologic syndromes like Guillain-Barre uh, or Bell's palsy. Uh, these are all very consistent in the medical literature. I imagine heart attack is being interpreted as myocarditis. All of these are recognized by the regulatory authorities and in the peer-reviewed literature. And now it's clear. I mean, the Zogby survey gives a very good talking point now. It's true about 15% of people who come forward for a survey <clears throat> that they indeed are reporting that they've received uh, an injury of some sort for 
uh, for a new diagnosis or they have a new medical problem, that's occurred relatively shortly after the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, is each and every new illness directly caused by the vaccine? No, we can't say that, but they are temporally related. Uh, they're bi it's biologically consistent with what we know about genetic installation and production of the spike protein. Other disorders that are similar or the same are reported in the peer-reviewed literature, so it's externally consistent, and that it's cohesive in that it's similar to what we see in clinical practice and similar to what we're seeing in the U.S. Uh, vaccine event reporting system. So the Zogby survey, completely independent of VAERS, or Yellow Card, or UDRA, or Vigisafe, and completely independent of the peer-reviewed medical literature, the survey now puts a number on it. It's about 15% of people indeed are not well after taking a COVID-19 vaccine. I think that's a talking point you can take home to your family members and say, yeah, 85% of people do fine, but 15% of individuals don't do fine. And I think we have to reconcile uh, the rationale of why anyone would take a vaccine at this point in time, given that high rate of injury uh, in, in light of and in the context of COVID-19 Omicron BA5 subvariant now, which is on the way out, becoming a, a very easily treatable condition in clinical medicine, that we're not having a problem in treating it. We are finding some high-risk seniors that need multi-drug approach. We've seen, obviously, Anthony Fauci and President Biden get it, and they've been on the center stage with monotherapy, uh, not doing well. But we're able to bring people through the illness and a recent paper by um, <clears throat> a recent paper by uh, uh, one of the medical reporters in JAMA reported that <clears throat> that the rate of hospitalization of people who receive Paxlovid alone, which uh, is not ideal as monotherapy, is way less than one percent. So I can tell you, we're not having a problem with COVID hospitalizations in the United States. They are in uh, Australia, New Zealand. Portugal and some other countries, but not in the United States. We've got the treatment rolling <clears throat> and we have this under control. As you can tell, my voice is struggling somewhat and um, we have a wonderful show for you tonight. And um, I've brought back to the show for an update, uh, Dr. Matt, Mary Tally Bowden. Dr. Bowden <clears throat> has been on the McCullough Report in the past and many of you remember her. She's an ear, nose, and throat physician who uh, did a residency at Stanford. She graduated top of her class in medical school. She's really uh, a top-notch doctor who treated many, many COVID patients in Harris County uh, in the Houston metro area. She was on staff at Methodist Hospital. And uh, like many outpatient doctors, we maintain our hospital privileges largely for courtesy so we can ease patient admissions, even though if we're not the admitting doctor, we have the privileges of going in the hospital, visiting with the patient and family, talking to consultants, you know, just making sure things are okay. Many times uh, as a doctor, we're doing quarterbacking for our patients. So she maintained her hospital privileges at Methodist. She didn't directly admit patients there. Um, but because uh, she had made public statements about the use of ivermectin, uh, Houston Methodist, <clears throat> made statements about her uh, spreading misinformation. Ultimately, uh, they took away her hospital privileges and courtesy hospital privileges, so she couldn't even see one of her patients if they were hospitalized on another service. And then Houston Methodist took to Twitter and defamed Dr. Bowden, 
actually as an institution, they attacked her. Well, this week, Dr. Bowden filed a $25 million defamation lawsuit against Houston Methodist Hospital, and she held a press release. Uh, it was around that time that she was uh, banned from Twitter as well. So I can tell you this is one doctor who is showing a tremendous amount of courage and a tremendous amount of backbone uh, fighting for her constitutional rights for free speech, fighting for her clinical integrity and her uh, um, willingness and her um, obligation to uh, question uh, scientific uh, information, to uh, uh, form hypotheses, to test these hypotheses, and to come to a, a resolution on clinical issues as we are supposed to do in our clinical practice and as she's done in her clinical practice. So she's basically done everything that any medical body could ask, uh, and now she's being defamed for it, and she's lost um, her account on Twitter. And Twitter basically is a common carrier. They don't have the right to take away people's accounts uh, who are just trying to communicate with one another in a rapid fashion. So we have an update from Dr. Bowden, <clears throat> and then... Uh, I'm really hoping next week I'll get over the final hump on my voice. I'm not sure why it's gone up. Maybe I had a busy day today traveling. I just got back in Dallas uh, from Washington, and I was knocking out the the, um, the program for this week. Uh, I promise I'll be back next week with uh, a better voice. Keep the questions coming. Uh, Malcolm and I tackle them on Pulse. Uh, this week we couldn't have a Pulse because Malcolm uh, got ill. Uh, but we did have a wonderful uh, new edition uh, that we recorded. It's up on the website. Malcolm and I hosted uh, Mr. Nate Jones. And Nate is the CEO of the company Clear. It's spelled X-L-E-A-R. And Nate reviewed the science around nasal washes, both bacterial, cytal, bacterial, static, and virucidal nasal washes, and their role in the prevention of upper respiratory tract infections and in the active treatment of upper respiratory tract infections. It's a terrific program. I've already seen it. It's up on the website. It's very informative and you can share that link with others because uh, using nasal sprays and gargles now is mainstream in helping to prevent SARS-CoV-2 and then treating the active infection with more intensive washes. So with that, Let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Out Loud Talk Radio, this is the McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Out Loud Talk Radio, this is the McCullough Report. Boy, I am so sick and tired of seeing hand sanitizer stations about every six feet in every building, in every airport, and every other public venue I walk through. The question isn't whether or not someone's hands are clean. The question is, is the air clean? And the only way to know is if these offices and these buildings and these houses, do they have a plan for clean air? Enter the Genesis Fogger. The Genesis Fogger uses HOCL in an atomized innovation that basically sterilizes the air. You can move this unit around in your house. It's portable and get the air cleaned Put your house on a schedule, particularly those areas that you know are full of germs, including bathrooms, including other areas where you're caring for seniors or for 
uh, uh, other individuals with disabilities. You know what I'm talking about. There are places in the house that are less clean than others, and the Genesis Fogger is the solution. It not only uh, kills common viruses, bacteria, and mold spores, but it provides a fresh fragrance for the room, and it can give assurances to you and your guests that your house is as clean and as safe as possible. So check out the Genesis Fogger, go to the website and enter in the promo code out loud for a discount off your first purchase. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulpidone iodine-based nasal spray Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. silent voices be heard. It was the rallying call that started it all. It's a wide spectrum of programming, from world and political news to societal and cultural stories. Six amazing years of news blogs, informative podcasts, and great talk radio. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. And I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I can tell you, one of the greatest pathophysiologic drivers for tiredness and fatigue during the day is poor quality sleep at night. People always focus on how long they slept, but they never think about the quality. And to improve the quality, there's a terrific product. That's the Healthy Cell REM Sleep Supplement. And what I tell friends and family and patients is take it every night consistently. Uh, it comes in a continue, a, a convenient bioabsorbable gel pack. Uh, take it right before you go to bed. Take the gel pack, brush your teeth, go to bed. Its effects are nearly instantaneous and patients get a well-rested sleep continuously, day after day, week after week, month after month. And then that daytime tiredness and fatigue melts away when there's a greater restful sleep than night before. So give it a try. Go to uh, HealthyCell.com and in the promotional code, type in out loud for 20% off your order. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has. Creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. 
The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America on Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. It's my great pleasure to report uh, that Dr. Mary Tally Bowden has agreed to come on the show for an exclusive update on her situation. Remember, we've had Mary on before uh, giving us her insights on the early treatment of severe cases with COVID-19. As an outpatient specialist, she's an ear, nose, and throat physician who has a practice in Houston that's now very well known for Harris County residents with COVID-19 called Breathe MD. But Dr. Bowden has been in the news recently because of two events. One is a a defamation lawsuit that she's filed against Houston Methodist Hospital, as well as uh, recently being kicked off Twitter for violating the community rules without giving any information on what community rules were violated. Dr. Bowden, welcome to the McCullough Report and give us a quick update. Thank you so much. Uh, Yes, Friday uh, evening, and it seems like these things always happen on a Friday evening, Um, but I was notified that I was permanently suspended from Twitter, which I still don't quite understand what that means because permanent and suspension mean two entirely different things, but I think it means that I'm kicked off completely. I did an appeal, and it was following a tweet that I uh, posted about VAERS reporting 127 deaths thus far uh, in children under the age of 18, uh, which was taken straight from the government website. So it was not misinformation whatsoever. <laughs> it was actual actual facts. Um, and then, yes, the defamation suit I filed uh, six days ago against Methodists, uh, trying to hold them accountable we're trying to basically suppress free speech and scientific discourse. And Houston Methodist, as I re- recall, actually used Twitter uh, to defame oh, you. Is that right? Yes. That's what I was saying. It's, these things happen on a Friday because it was a Friday afternoon and I looked at my Twitter account and they were, um, you know, saying that they had publicly, I mean, they had, uh, had uh, suspended my privileges for spreading dangerous misinformation. And it was... Um, Twitter and through a reporter at the Houston Chronicle that I found out that my privileges had been suspended. Well, I can tell you, I'm involved uh, with Dr. Malone and others in a lawsuit against Twitter, which now has standing. And we are uh, in the discovery phase. So there's going to be an opportunity to open up for you to join uh, in this suit. And it's for uh, Twitter canceling user accounts for, quote, violating the community rules without explaining what the community rules are and certainly posting results from a U.S. government data set on vaccine safety uh, would in no way violate any types of rules of any type of community, since that's just a reporting or presenting scientific information, exactly. <laughs> which, which we have a guaranteed constitutional right in doing so. People have asked me why Twitter or Getter or True Social, why they're important. And I've always said that um, the, the peer-reviewed publication process is too slow to get information out quickly. It takes two to four years sometimes to publish a manuscript. Here we have findings we need to get out right away. Uh, Is that the reason why you use Twitter as well? Yes, and I feel like people, it gives people hope. 
Um, it was actually my lawyer pointed this out to me that people need hope. They need somebody to fight for them because people don't have a voice and it gives people sort of a way to, you know, feel like somebody's representing them. Um, so that was my, one of my main motivations because everybody's like, just get off of Twitter. What's the point? But I feel like it's, you know, when the other side needs to be presented. It's true. That's how fair balance and scientific discourse move forward. I had a chance to go on one of the local Houston press releases regarding your lawsuit on Methodist. And I saw just a bunch of vitriolic uh, comments uh, regarding you, almost further defaming you, uh, mm -hmm. co comments that you weren't qualified or that you weren't mm -hmm. a, a real doctor. And um, you know, I know I've introduced you to our audience in the past, but I, I can tell you being a doctor myself, I know ear, nose and throat is actually one of the most competitive residencies and that you did your residency at Stanford, I believe. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. And um, so you, you must have graduated at top of your class. I did. I, I worked hard <laughs> to become an ENT. It's not easy. Um, and during this pandemic, I mean, I didn't intend on becoming a COVID doctor, but it just fell upon me because I had so many patients telling me that their primary care doctor would not see them and they needed help. So I just stepped in because somebody needed to. And uh, thus far, I've treated over 4,000 people and every patient that has received early treatment has survived. That's true. I just tweeted out, says my Twitter account is still um, active that all except for one patient in Sydney, Australia, who's in the hospital right now is fully vaccinated. And so one of the, uh, you know, there's been a series of false claims regarding the vaccines. It started out that the vaccines uh, stopped the infection. That didn't happen. And then there's a claim that said that it stopped the spread or transmission of infection, and that fell. And then there was a claim that it reduced hospitalization and death. And, and with Every single patient in the hospital in Sydney, Australia, except for one, who's uh, they're all fully vaccinated. Mm -hmm. New South Wales has a 90% vaccination rate. There's still 10% right. of people out there that are unvaccinated, but they're certainly not in the hospital. In, in your view, is that the final false claim to, to fall that the vaccines prevent hospitalization and death? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, one of my big complaints about Methodist is, you know, if they're so confident about the vaccine, why are they not posting all their data on their website? Would not be too hard to say, okay, this is how many we have who are vaccinated and who are unvaccinated, but they don't do that. And there is a reason they don't do that. So, um, yes. And I mean, basically, that's what I, that's what had me cast doubt on the vaccine to begin with, is I kept seeing all these breakthrough cases early on. And now I'm seeing all the people with ongoing problems related to the vaccine. I think about 10% of my new patients now are for people that are just, you know, crippled from the vaccine. I saw a 25 year old uh, in my clinic on Friday who's in a wheelchair after the vaccine. And um, it's just, it's just really hard to believe how all of this has happened and been suppressed. Now this week, a uh, Zogby, professional survey was released. It was commissioned by the Children's Health Defense Fund, but Zogby Survey Analytics is an independent and, and very valid survey organization. They found that 15% of people who took the vaccines had some type of new medical diagnosis, new medical problem or injury. Is that consistent with what you're seeing in your practice? That's exactly consistent with what I'm seeing. And I shouldn't be seeing these people because I'm an ENT and I'm seeing patients with all sorts of issues 
because they have nowhere else to go. They, they go to their primary care doctor. They, they get told, I had a patient that was prescribed Valium, Prozac and Ambien for her symptoms. And I mean, it's that kind of thing. They get dismissed or they get the million dollar workup that shows nothing. And, and they don't try any medications. They don't even try steroids for some of these patients. So um, it's, it's really uh, discouraging. Now this week, uh, President Biden, who contracted COVID-19 and had symptoms, was prescribed uh, Paxlovid monotherapy, uh, mm -hmm. despite the CDC warnings on May 24th of 2022, saying that among the fully vaccinated, if they take Paxlovid, that it can result in rebound and actually prolong the illness and prolong the infectivity period. Mm -hmm. uh, is, is that what you think's happened with President Biden? Oh, yes. I mean, I've, I'm actually surprised they didn't throw the kitchen sink at him and just do it under the radar. Um, but the uh, yes, Paxlovid, I'm not a big fan of. Um, and that's one of the reasons why. You know, I've used it in my clinical practice, but I never use it alone. I use it as part of a multi-drug protocol. I updated the McCullough protocol, uh, which is the basis for the Truth for Health Foundation and AAPS protocols. I updated it as an antiviral choice, but under no mm -hmm. circumstances did I think it could be used alone, that it needed to be right. used in a multi-drug profile. I've used it in my practice, but only in the unvaccinated, only on label and right. in an established protocol. And I found his performance to be pretty modest, right, uh, right. To, to tell you the truth. You know, I have the impression now uh, uh, treating hundreds of patients, not thousands, but hundreds, and those who are older uh, with advanced comorbidities, I have the impression that ivermectin 0.6 milligrams per kilogram over about five days is the most dynamic of all the drugs. Is that your experience? Yeah, so I haven't done the 0.6 yet. I only I have in the more severe cases. Usually what I do is a combination of 0.4 ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Occasionally I'll add the azithromycin in early or depending on what else is going on. Um, but, you know, it's kind of changed as I go along, as it should, right? I mean, as, as we see new variants and we see different severities, we modify. And, of course, it's, it's all very patient-specific. One size does not fit all. That's so true. Uh, we had just had a, a, someone in our family develop COVID with severe symptoms, and she's over age 60, uh, fully vaccinated, uh, but developed severe symptoms. And one of her initial symptoms was fever and, and then uh, nausea, vomiting, she couldn't keep the, the drugs mm -hmm. down. And I've had on the McCullough Report, Dr. Shankarin Chetty from South Africa, and in his protocol, he features promethazine, which mm -hmm. is uh, an anti-emetic. Have you mm -hmm. ever had a chance to use that or other forms of antihistamines, anti-emetics? I, you know, I'm kind of a minimalist. I try to do the least amount as possible. So I don't usually, you know, I'm pretty, I, I stick with, one, two, or three medications to start with. And everybody invariably is on, you know, lots of supplements. So, you know, we, we do that. And then if they are having nausea and vomiting, then I'll bring them in for an IV and, and give them Zofran. And, but I, you know, I've had good success being sort of on the minimalist side, even though, you know, and then st ramping it up when, when things are more severe. I think that's a good um, that's a good response and a reminder to our audience that when patients get volume contracted, that they actually get dehydrated from nausea, vomiting, 
that actually causes more nausea and vomiting. So mm-hmm. volume contraction actually worsens the symptoms. And many times putting in an IV and giving normal saline or ringer's lactate mm-hmm. uh, and improving the volume status, then the nausea and vomiting gets better. Right, right. Yep, I, I agree. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the McCullough Report and keep us updated on the lawsuit with Methodist and then what happens with Twitter. I think uh, I'm one of the uh, lone survivors so far on Twitter. My number's probably coming up next. Well, you are civilized. You're more civilized than I am. You deserve to keep your status. I'll say that. (laughs) You've done a great job. Okay. And then I stopped Uh following the fake Twitter account. That's another thing to to warn (laughs) To warn our listeners, there are so many fake accounts. There has to be a half a dozen fake accounts for myself uh, all over social media. Mm-hmm. And um, I can tell you, most of them come from Nigeria or other places. So any mm-hmm. social media account of any of the prominent doctors in the United States that's purporting to sell things, uh, that's, a, that's a red flag that, in fact, it's a, a fake account. Yes. Thank you for uh, broadcasting yeah. that. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Bowden, for joining us on McCullough Report. Thank thank you, Dr. McCullough. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report.